Good morning. Thanks for your patience. Thank you for those who are joining us online today. My name is Drew Phillips. I'm the associate pastor of ministries here at Calvary. And today we're going to be starting a new series. Chris kind of gave you a little bit of a, a heads up to that. And this two-week series is going to be titled, Before All Things. And during these two weeks, we're going to take a closer look at who Jesus is according to the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Colossians. And the reason we're doing this, it kind of breaks up in two different areas. Um, the first part that we're going to look at today that Chris read will be Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. And in that section, Paul kind of outlines for us who Jesus is for us personally. Helps us in that area. And then the second stanza, which Daniel will speak on next week, talks more about how that plays itself out in the context of community. And Daniel's going to cover that, as I said, next week. This week we're going to focus on the personal implications of what it means that Jesus is before all things. So as you go ahead, we will read uh, Colossians 1, 15-17. So if you want to get there on your phone, or if you actually brought your paper Bible, if you want to turn there, go ahead and do that. But let's familiarize ourselves with the text a little bit before we get there. This is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, as I said earlier. And he's writing this letter from prison. And he's writing this letter to the church at Colossae. And this is not a church that he planted or started. This is actually a church that he never visited. But Epaphras, one of his disciples, one of his fellow workers, planted this church and then visited Paul in prison and had some questions for him. Some stuff had come up in the church, and he was looking for wisdom and for guidance. And so this letter is Paul's words back to the church of Colossae, how to deal with several of the issues that have come up. One of the main issues that came up is what did they do and how did they follow Jesus on a daily basis? What it looked like to live like that in a culture that was uh, secular was Rome. Rome occupied it, so it had a Roman secular culture. But then the religious culture of the day and where they were was a Jewish culture. So they had a Jewish religious culture. They had a Roman secular culture. And they're trying to learn how to follow, figure out how to follow Jesus in the midst of that. So Paul writes this letter because most of the people in this church at the time were new believers. They, didn't, they weren't around with disciples. When Epaphras started this church, they were mostly new believers that had started, and they were struggling on how to do this on a day-to-day -day basis. And this particular passage is a poem that Paul has written. And throughout the poem, you will see references to the Old Testament. We'll talk about that here in a second, but there's references to Genesis, to Psalms, and to Proverbs. And through it all, we see how Jesus relates and how the Old Testament writers were pointing, pointing towards Jesus and how Jesus relates to that. So let's remind ourselves what that is. As Chris read earlier, we'll be in Colossians 1, 15 through 17. It says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. 
So we're going to do a little class participation today. So if you have uh, a phone with you, go ahead and pull your phone out. I know you've kind of been taught to put your phones away. Go ahead and pull your phone out and get to a uh, place where you can take notes. Okay? If you are old school and have a flip phone, maybe get out a piece of paper. But I'd like for you to jot something down. And what I'd like for you to jot down is a one to two sentence description, sentence description on who Jesus is. One to two sentences on who Jesus is. Now, I'm looking at a lot of people right now, and I see a lot of people's eyes are on me. That's great. I would like your eyes down on your phone. I know it sounds weird to say. Have your eyes down on your phone. Really, just a one to two sentence description on who Jesus is. And there's going to be a little bit of an awkward silence because I want to make sure that you have plenty of time to do that also like some of you who are looking down right now acting like you're doing something <laughs> all right we're going to come back to that later so even if you're working on that still continue to work um, and, and do that I'm going to kind of give a framework to it here a little bit if I was to gather all of your guys answers I'm sure I'd find a lot of similarities and I'm sure also in that there'd be some differences and a lot of those differences or similarities would depend on life circumstances, what our needs have been, and even our background. And in those areas, Jesus has embodied something different for each one of us. And hear me say, there's some beauty in that. There's some beauty in the way that you just wrote down to describe Jesus as something that is personal to you. There's some beauty in that. But there's also some danger. The enemy can take and can twist that a little bit, can take some of our life uh, circumstances and things that help that and twist and turn it to give us an unhealthy view of who Jesus really is. And so that's why it's important for us to have a biblical understanding of who Jesus is, not just a cultural or a personal understanding. Let me say that again. It's important for us to have a biblical understanding of who Jesus is, not just a personal or a cultural understanding of who Jesus is. And we see Paul do this right here. He is developing a biblical using the Old Testament because that's what they had. That was their Bible at the time was the Old Testament. Using that to help them build an understanding and a, and a description of Jesus. So let's take a look at the first characteristic. First, we see that he is the image of the invisible God. Paul starts out by describing Jesus' relation to God the Father. And that word image that he used there is a Greek word. I'm going to pr try to pronounce it here. I'm not great at Greek. I even watched a YouTube video this week trying to work on my Greek, Greek pronunciation. So send your emails to dbarry at yourcalvary.church if I pronounce it wrong. But it's ekone. Ekone. Which means a mirror-like representation or something that reflects the source. So this is where we get our word icon from. So Jesus is the mere representation, or he reflects the source of God. And I believe that this is an important characteristic of Jesus for us to understand. I believe this is one of the chief reasons Jesus came here to earth. We know that the main reason he came was to pay a debt that we could not pay through his death, burial, and resurrection in order that our relationship to the Father could be restored. But he also came to be an embodiment of God in human form so that we could know what the Father was actually like. We talk a lot about this around Christmas time 
We use the word Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's what Jesus is. He is God with us. The message translation says it this way in the, in, uh, the first chapter of John. Eugene Peterson tra- translates it this way, saying that he had moved into the neighborhood. Jesus is the image of God that we, as humans, couldn't handle seeing. If you can remember back to Moses' time in Exodus 33 and 34, Moses wants to see God. He's, he's begging for him as he's getting the Ten Commandments, please just let me see your face. And God tells him, you can't handle to see my face. So what I'm going to do is go hide behind this rock and shield your eyes and I will pass in front of you and you will see my back because that's all that you're going to be able to handle. And as God does this, as Moses doesn't realize it, but as he's coming down from the mountain from that plot, from that time, his face is glowing, is shining because the mere glory of God, just seeing his back, completely transformed his face. So being in God's actual presence is not something as human beings that we can handle. So Jesus came down so that we could get a clearer picture of who God is. And I believe Paul is telling the Colossians this here because if you continue to read on in the, in the letter, he instructs them that this is how he wants them to be in their community. Little icons or images of Jesus. And just as Jesus was a physical representation of God, we should be the very presence of Jesus in our neighborhood and in our communities. When people encounter us, it should be like they are encountering Jesus. Colossians 3.10 says this. Paul tells them to rid themselves of their old way and to put on the new self, which is found in Christ Jesus. So that, just as Jesus is the mere reflection of God, we too can be the mere reflection to Jesus, of Jesus to those around us, to our classmates, to our co-workers, to our neighbors, to our family. Jesus is the image of of the invisible God. And we are called to be his image bearers here on earth today. Second, we see that Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. And he gets this from Psalm 89:27, which says this, I will also make him my firstborn, the greatest of all the kings of earth. Again, tying it back to that Old Testament. This is a scripture that they would have been familiar with. And this characteristic about being the firstborn isn't necessarily about uh, time. It's not referenced that he was there before creation. We'll get to that here in a second where it finds out that he created everything. But the main thing he's talking about here is the status that he holds as the firstborn. In biblical times and even in some cultures today, being the firstborn son is a big deal. It came with responsibility and honor. So Paul is placing Jesus in that same role in creation. We see that he is the one of the highest honor, and we'll see in the coming verses, it comes with a lot of responsibilities. We see that he's very much involved in creation. That he created the things that we can see, and he has also created the things that we cannot see. And that all powers and authority on heaven and on earth sit under his control. And I believe he's telling us that because it's something that we can rest in. 
This is why it's important for us to realize that he is before all things, that he is the firstborn, that he can be trusted, that he can handle the responsibility that God has given him. Another reason that Paul put this in the letter is one of the philosophies that was going around Colossae at the time was the worship of angelic beings. If you continue to read, Paul makes reference in that in chapter 2, verse 8. And so what Paul is stating here is that Jesus is above and actually created these angelic beings and that he should be the one that they're worshiping because he created them. That we should worship the creator, not the created thing. So how does that resonate with you and with me today? How do we, how do we apply that? Because for the most part, we don't live in a culture that worships angelic beings. That's not a philosophy that's, that's prevalent in our culture here today. But one of the things that is prevalent in our culture today is that we worship created things. And when I mention worship here, I don't just mean that we sing songs, but worship is about giving our attention or our devotion to something. So what are those things that we are giving our attention to and our devotion to over God? As I was thinking through this, and thinking through these last several months, one of those things that came pretty clearly for me was running. And I've talked about running up here a lot before, so I'm not going to do a deep dive there. But running for me in this time um, that we've been in lockdown and, and through COVID-19, running has been a great escape for me. As work and pressures have increased in different times, just being at home, um, some of those things, it's been good for me to get out and run. And my wife has recognized that. She's recognized the fact that I am a better husband and I'm a better father if I can at least get out and go for a run. And so I've been running a lot over these last several months, which has been great. But if I'm honest and transparent with you guys, there are times, often, that my run takes higher priority than my time with God. And I wish I would recognize and know the truth and the fact that I may be a better husband, I may be a better father, I may be a better coworker if I can get a run in on a regular basis. But I'm going to be a better husband, father, coworker if I'm spending time with God every day. If I'm worshiping Him and not the thing that I'm doing. Now hear me say this. Running is not a bad thing. Whatever that thing is for you that's in your mind that you think, yeah, this is something that sometimes takes priority over God in my life, those things in among themselves are not all terrible. Some of them might be. Most of them, I'm sure, are not. So the question is, how do we invite God into those things that he has created us for? How do we invite God into those things that naturally are passions or maybe gifts for us? How do we invite him in and participate, realizing that we don't need to compartmentalize our life like I like to do? I like to have my, my time with God. I like to have my time at work. I like to have time with my family. I like to have my time of exercise and I want to compartmentalize it all instead of realizing that God wants to be involved in every aspect of my life. And the same is true for you. So for you, whatever that thing is, how are you, how are you allowing God and allowing him to participate in those things that he has created you to love and enjoy? How can you worship him through that? Practically for me, it means... When I run, sometimes I listen to worship music. The, the music that I listen to allows God to be present with me 
It allows me to recognize his presence with me as I run. Maybe it's through a podcast that I'm listening to that I'm trying to, to learn a little bit more. Maybe it's times of prayer, of just when I don't listen to anything and, whatever, and whoever God brings to mind, I spend some time to pray for that. It's reorienting those things, making sure that we are not worshiping the thing that is created, but we are worshiping the creator of those things. The final characteristic that we're going to take a look at today is the fact that he holds everything together. Paul described him as being the very image of God and that all things were created by him and they were also created for him and that he brings order and stability to everything. Jesus holds the craziness and the chaos in this world together. And I know there have been many times in my life where my world feels out of control and chaotic and all I want is Jesus to return again. But I need to remind myself of the truth and the reality that he's got it. That he's holding it together and that he can handle it. Now this is something I believe that becomes more and more difficult for us as adults as we get older. Because we become accustomed to learning to handle our world and the things that come up in it. And we've lost the innocence of what it means to truly trust someone else. As children, we knew, and we both, for the most part, trusted the adults that were in our life, whether it be a grandparent, a parent, a teacher. These were people that we could trust. And as we get older, we start to take control of our world, start to handle the things that come up, and we learn, we, in that process, we, we forget what it means, and even the, the innocence that's there to allow someone else to be in control and to handle it. In our last series, Kingdom Training, we took a look at some of Jesus' main teachings. And some of those teachings were on worry. How he talked about don't worry about tomorrow. And about building a strong foundation. Both of these ideas and teachings are focused around the idea that we can trust God to hold things all together. That we don't have to worry about our provisions because he's holding it together. That when the storms of life come, and I'm talking the big storms, the stuff that's really going to shake us, we can feel secure because our foundation is on someone and is built on someone who holds it all together. Humor me for a second. Go back in your memory and think about a time where you were able to take a trip, a vacation, or have some sort of experience where someone else was in charge. Someone else was taking care of all of the details. You didn't have to do that. You just had to show up and enjoy. Now, I know for some of you right now, that sounds terrible. You like control. You want to make sure that everything's going to be taken care of. You've got your manila folder in case any of the technology goes wrong. You have everything printed out because who knows if you're going to have Wi-Fi or a connection. You like to be in control. You like to be the one that's going to pick up the reservation. You're going to take care of all of those details. And there's some good things about that. But the freedom that we have, the freedom that's available to us when we are able to go on a trip and not worry, is the reservation taken care of? When, where do we have to be? What's the timing of that going to be? I'm going to have to drive to get there. But we let someone else take care of that because they're holding it together. There's a lightness. Again, this is, for the most part, what maybe some of us experienced as children. As we were growing up, we didn't have to worry about those things because we trusted the adults in our lives to take care of that. 
and we were just able to be present and enjoy the experience for what it is. That's what we're invited into with a life with Jesus. We do have a responsibility. We have to show up, right? If, we're, if you're going to take a trip somewhere and take a flight, you do have to get yourself to the airport. If not that, you at least have to wake yourself up. You have some sort of responsibility in making that trip happen. And we have the same thing in our life. We have a responsibility to show up and do the things that God has called us to do. But it's not with the pressure that we have to hold it all together ourselves. It's with the reality that Jesus is holding it together and we get to partner with him in it. And when we start to live out of that perspective and with that mindset, it starts to change the way that we live. It gives us a lightness to our life. It helps us enjoy the journey. It help us, helps us to get through some of those tough times with a better head on our shoulders. As I said, next week, Daniel will be talking about stanza two. And in that stanza, talks, Paul talks more about Christ's relationship with the church. But it's important for us to understand these characteristics of Jesus first, because it gives us context with who we are with the Father. That things were all created for him, through him, by him, and he's holding it together. And when we start to understand that and live that out, we, be able, we are able to live that together as a community in more of a powerful way. And if we really start to believe these things about Jesus, it would change how we live our lives with Jesus and how we live our lives with each other. As we start to wrap things up today, let's go back to the description of Jesus that you wrote down earlier. As I stated, there are some differences in these experiences they, that inform us and help us give us an understanding of who Jesus is. And these life experiences can shape us in a good way, but the enemy can use them to twist and to distort that. And this is why it's so important for us to read and study our Bible. We need to allow the description of Jesus to be based out of the word and not just shaped by our experiences. And so this leads us to our daily training. So this is our weekly practice this week, is to spend time with God this week taking a closer look into what has shaped your description of Jesus. Spend some time with God this week taking a closer look at why you described Jesus the way that you did. And I would encourage you, get out your Bible, do a word search, do, some, do a, a deep study, read through the old, some of the Old Testament, be in the prophets, be in the wisdom literature, read the gospels, read the letters afterwards, the description that the Bible gives us, some characteristic, some characteristic traits of who Jesus is. And start to compare those things with how you described it. And maybe for some of us, we have a good biblical understanding of who Jesus is. But maybe for some of us, we've got a little bit of a distortion there. That maybe some of the ways that we've seen Jesus aren't exactly accurate with his word. And as we start to change that description, it starts to change how we view our relationship with him. It gives us some comfort in chaos. It gives us some rest when we're going through a season of unknown things. Because when we understand who Jesus is, life is available on the other side of that. So my prayer is this week for all of us that we would allow the Spirit to start to work to either solidify that description 
but also to illuminate it a little bit more so that we can walk with Jesus securely, confidently, knowing that he's the very image of God, that he is in control of all things, that he is holding it together and that he can be trusted. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for, from Genesis to Revelation, Lord, have you had, have given us a description of who your son is. And Lord, I can only imagine what it was like when he showed up on the scene, when he moved into the neighborhood, and how excited you were to put on display for the world who your son is. And thank you that he was able to be the very embodiment of you here on earth so that we could have a clearer picture and understanding of who you are so that we can walk closer with you. Thank you for his sacrifice for us on the cross so that relationship may be made right. Thank you for sending your spirit who empowers us, who convicts us, who comforts us, who guides us, Lord, along this path that we call life. And I pray this week, as we pause and reflect on that, that you would, that your spirit would illuminate your word so that we would have a clear, more full understanding of who Jesus is and the hope and the life and the love that we get from him. We love you. It's in your name we pray.